first reading is Paul's letter to Philemon and can be found on page 1,200 of our church Bibles. So Philemon. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, also to Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets at your home. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers, because I hear about your love for all his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share in the, for the sake of Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. It is as none other than Paul, an old man, now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, that I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. He was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. I am sending him, who is my very heart, back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I am in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent, so that any favour you do would not seem forced, but would be voluntary. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever. No longer as a slave, but better than a slave. For as a dear brother, he is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you would do even more than I ask. This is the word of the Lord. The second reading is from Luke's Gospel, chapter 14, verses 25 to 33, and you can find it on page 1048, 1048 in the Church Bibles. Luke, chapter 14, verse 25 to 33. Large crowds were travelling with Jesus, and turning to them, he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, 
such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000. If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to be with you today. Let's pray. Siri apparently wants to pray on my behalf. Um, let's pray. And so, Lord Jesus, we do thank you for the immense value that you place in us, for the cost you paid for us. And Lord, we do pray that as we open your word this morning, that we ourselves will be able to count up the cost of following you and do so in your ways and in your name, the name of Jesus. Amen. Now, a few weeks back, um, we, we, I found myself with Rachel in uh, Hobbycraft, uh, which is a place we sometimes uh, end up in. And usually what happens in Hobbycraft is that we go our separate ways. Um, because the kinds of hobbies she likes, I really don't like. I don't even know what kind of hobby she does with the wool. I don't know whether it's cross-stitch, crochet. What, I, I, I have no, all I say is that looks very pretty. Um, and it is normally very, very, very pretty. But she goes off and she looks at the aisles that contain wool. Or maybe a paintbrush or something. Um, she does art as well. Me, on the other hand, I go and I find the aisle that contains all the plastic model aeroplanes. Because that's my favorite place to be in there. There's lots of paints and... Uh, what I sometimes jokingly say to her is the man stuff in Hobbycraft. And uh, unfortunately, recently, she found me in Hobbycraft on one of our visits. And as we were walking down, she looked at the price of some of these model kits. And uh, she looked at me and she went, oh, blimey, some of them are a bit expensive, aren't they? And I thought, you have no idea what I've just ordered. You, you, you know, I have ordered a fairly big Spitfire recently, and it's to the extent where I might as well actually just build the real thing. Um, <laughs> I would get into trouble if I actually did that, though. And, uh, but she looked at these model kits, and for her, and it's the same with me, she sees value in the things that she looks at in that shop. 
when we go into Hobbycraft and she looks at, at, the, at the wool aisles and uh, looks at her, all, all the stuff that she can, she can knit and, and all the pretty things she can do with that, she sees this immense value in what's in those aisles. And I know it's nerdy and I know it's geeky, but when I am in the model aisle, I see value in the cost of some of those things. Worth and the kind of worth is going to be replacing things. It's going to be a choice for all of us. It's going to be a choice for all of us. And I want to look at both readings this morning. Um, I'm going to start in, in Luke. And uh, we have this, this passage. It's a really famous passage. And I, you know, it's really obvious when you start the passage that large crowds were following him. But for some reason, I always hear in my head that he might have just been talking to the 12 disciples for some reason. have no idea why. But when you read this, there's a lot of people following Jesus. A large crowd is following Jesus. And he turns around to them. And he says some words that are really, really hard. When you look at those words, they are, they are very strong. He says, unless you hate a lot of things that we, we think, or probably we shouldn't hate. You know, I'm on good terms with my parents. It's all right, I don't hate your mom, I don't hate your dad. Um, but Jesus says, I should hate them, Right? No, do I hate my own life? It's the point of this passage that I should think of myself as some miserable little worm. Um, you know, I was actually joking with Evie beforehand. There's some bits in the BCP I don't like, and I, I don't think of myself as a wretched worm, uh, which you can be if you read some of the prayers in there. Um, I, it's, I don't think the point of this passage and what Jesus is saying there is to literally hate your parents. Jesus was a Jewish person after all. And if, you know, if you're a good Jewish person and you know your Ten Commandments, you'll know that one of the Ten Commandments is honor mother and father. Well done. I'm just checking you're still with me, that you're still awake. We're, we're there. We're good. Honor your mother and honor your father. So actually, and, and when, when you trans, there is a bit of a translationism here, as I call them these days. And actually, it can come across very strong when we put it across. And there is something to be said about thinking less of some things and thinking more of other things. And what Jesus is saying in this passage is not a question of literal hate for your parents, not literal hate for, for your own life. But to, to, to be able to separate yourself from the things of the world and look to the things of God and the things of Christ. It's not a case of hate. It's a case of priority. Where are your priorities? Where do they lie? Do they lie in following Jesus? Or do they lie in the other things of this world at this point in time. Where are your priorities? I don't know why I looked at you there, Judith. Um, that wasn't intentional. It's a question for all of us. It's a question I have to ask myself. And I think as the world is evolving at the moment, as things are going at a rate of knots, 
culture, I don't know if you've looked around over the last few years, but culture is so polarized at the moment. It seems that actually, you know, there's always two arguments to everything in the press, on social media. Everywhere we look at the moment, there's, there's like you have to fall into one camp or you have to fall into the other. That's what it feels like. It really does feel that, and I worry about some of our young people and what they're growing up into, especially with social media. I look on social media and I look at, at Twitter and I see, you know, even some of my colleagues, not any of the colleagues in the Bado team, mind, but I see some of my colleagues, just to clarify where we're going there. I don't, I'm not sure if Tim knows what Twitter is yet. Um, you can tell him I said that. Um, but, you know, you can see some of them on there. And, you know, some of them are so far left of some of the arguments, and some are so far right that they don't end up talking in the middle. They don't actually really probably have the dialogue that needs to be happen, happening. But it doesn't happen. It's not just clergy. It's, you know, the, the, look at the states and look at the politics that are going on there at the moment. It's divisive, one camp or the other. We had it in this country, Brexit and Remain. Now, I'm not saying for one second it's wrong to have political opinions. In actual fact, I'm very strong on the fact that as a follower of Jesus, I want to have political opinions because they do matter. These, having your voice and being able to, to voice your voice really, really, really matters. But what I am saying is there is a question of priority here. And it doesn't matter whether it's politics or any other issues. Because there's a choice. We can let culture shape us. Or we can let Jesus shape us. And there is a real danger at the moment that we are not counting up, across, uh, up the cost as the church, Big C, not me, Gate Church specifically, but Big C. We're not counting up the cost properly. And it's not just about counting up the cost of following Jesus, it's counting up the cost of following other things. And please hear me on that. Everything has a price. Everything you follow has a price. And the question all of us need to ask of ourselves is have we counted up the cost of the way in which we're following? Is the prize at the end worth it? Is the prize worth the price? I have to ask myself that again and again and again, and the, the more I look at the world around us, I'm finding that I need to ask that question more and more and more. Am I going the right way? Am I looking to Jesus first, or am I looking to, to what culture says I, I should be doing? And culture is a wide berthing thing. Like I say, you can end up on the left of it, you can end up on the right, you can even end up somewhere in the middle. <laughs> the point is, are we looking to Jesus first? Are we looking? I love the word of knowledge that uh, we had this morning um, of all that noise going on around. All the noise going on around us at the moment. We hear so much in the press, on social media. Can we hear God in the midst of all of it? Can we hear him? Can we still follow? There is a price for everything. And, I, you know, I have friends who, when they become Christians... Um, they've been from other faiths and things, and there was a very literal price when they, when they become Christians. They do literally lose family. 
And they've counted up the cost in that, and they've said, this is the way I'm going. I have heard the voice of God, and I'm going to push through. I'm going to push through all the noise. I'm going to follow the way of God. Becoming a Christian will come with a cost. I want to turn to Philemon because actually I think there's a lot you could say about Philemon. And, you know, if you are uh, of an achieving mindset in here, and there may be one or two of you. In fact, I know there's a couple of people who like achievements in here. Uh, Read a few more verses when you get home and you've done the whole book of the Bible. Well done. Um, It's a very short book. (laughs) But there could be a lot to say um, about it. And uh, just we need to get behind what's going on here a little bit. And some of it we have to interpret and sort of, uh, you know, try and get, be detectives, Bible detectives, and work out what's going on to really bring this um, to life. Uh, But in this case, we have uh, a slave, or formerly a slave, Onesimus, and we have Philemon. And what we can deduce is that um, Onesimus has left somewhere that he was meant to be for some reason. We don't know how he ran away, whether he ran away, whether he was sent away and didn't come back. There could be lots of wide-ranging reasons as to why Onesimus has found himself where he is. But what we do know is that he probably should have gone back or shouldn't have run away a lot, you know, a lot sooner. He shouldn't have been where he, he was. And uh, the point I want to make here is that for every single person in this, in this book... Uh, in this letter, there is a cost. For every single person in this letter, there is a cost. So Onesimus has run away. And Philemon should be owed. Slaves, if they were ran away or if they deserted, there was a very, very literal punishment or series of punishments that should have been owed on behalf of the master in those times. If you were caught running away and the Romans caught you, it could be very, very bad. You know, that's, you know, that could be end of the road for Onesimus. It was very, very serious. Very, very serious. But here in the midst of this letter, we have Paul pleading for Philemon not to take what he is owed. What is Philemon doing in this moment? Or what is Paul asking of Philemon to do in this moment? He's asking him to put aside and to separate himself from the culture of the time, to follow Christ and to do the right thing. He's asking himself to separate himself from the things that were owed to him culturally. That's Philemon's cost. Onesimus, and actually, you know, small geeky Bible facts here. We don't know if Onesimus was his real name. It could have been a code name because all Onesimus means is useful. And if you pay attention to the letter closely, you will see that he was formerly not useful, and then he became useful. 
So in order to probably, maybe it was a code to make sure that Onesimus got back to Philemon safely so that if the Romans picked him up on the, on the road, they wouldn't be able to identify who this man was. Um, but we, we do know there was a bishop called Onesimus a bit later on, and some people think that that might have been one and the same, same person. Um, but you can read up on the geeky scholarship around that. But for Onesimus, he's got to, here's the price he's got to pay. He's got to go back to Philemon. He's got to go back to a place where he was formerly uh, not his own person. Paul is asking him and saying, something has happened. In the time you have spent with me, you have decided to follow Jesus. You have decided to become a Christian. And what I need you to do now is going to be really hard. It It might cost you. It's going to cost you your pride, if nothing else, to go all the way back and see your old master and take him this letter. Because in this letter is Paul's cost. And do you see in the letter how Paul puts himself on the line for Onesimus? He doesn't leave Onesimus in the, in, in the depths. He pleads for him and he says, actually, Whatever you are owed, whatever this man owes you as a result of either him running away in the first place or not coming back when he should have done, whatever he owes you, charge it to me. Charge it to me. Lots of cultural norms being broken for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of following Jesus. All of us will have a cost to bear. All of us, when we decide to follow Jesus, will have to count up that cost. And I do wonder, as Jesus addressed those large crowds, what happened afterwards? How many did actually continue following? How many were able to say, yes, I can do this? And how many felt trapped and said that what you're asking is too difficult for me? I can't do it. I can't do it. But the message this morning, quite simple, where are your priorities? Can you count up the cost? Can you put amongst all the noise, can you put Jesus first? Can you look to him first? The lectionary um, helpfully loses the last couple of verses this morning, but they're also very famous verses. It's about salt being salty and salt losing its saltiness. Brothers and sisters, it is important, especially at the moment, uh, that this world has some salt in it. We are coming into very, very difficult times, potentially. The world is already a very, very strange place. Um, You know, I I think back to January, and uh, if it feels like 10 years have passed in all the things that have been happening uh, this year. 
We need to be salt. As followers of Jesus, we need to be salt. And the only way to be salty is to say to the world, in a world that is divided at the moment, perhaps more than it ever has been in recent years, there is another way. There is another way. You don't just have to go left and you don't just have to go right. You can go the Jesus way. You can follow his way. Just requires us to look a little bit at our priorities and where we are. It requires us to hear his voice in the midst of it all. And it requires us to follow and to be counted and to be a disciple. Amen.